Okay, let's turn to our scripture. It can be found on page four of the bulletin. Our first sermon on thankfulness in Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. But the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The word of the Lord. So I want to talk about thankfulness. It's an important emotion, an important quality, so much so that we actually have a holiday for it, don't we? I have a quote here from James Baker, senior historian at Plymouth Plantation and my personal friend. The reason that we have so many myths associated with Thanksgiving is that it is an invented tradition. It doesn't originate in any one event. It is based on the New England Puritan Thanksgiving, which is religious Thanksgiving, and the traditional harvest celebrations of England and New England and maybe other ideas like commemorating the, pink, the pilgrims. All of these have been gathered together and transformed into something different from the original parts. Thanksgiving is an invented tradition, but so important that we needed to give a day for it. Indeed, presidents throughout our history from the beginning have called for days of Thanksgiving. The secular world, not just the Christian world, acknowledges the importance of thankfulness and gratefulness. It was Cicero, the Roman historian, and my Facebook friend, who said gratitude is not only the greatest of virtues, but the parent of all others. Oprah Winfrey said it even more succinctly. Be thankful for what you have, and you'll end up having more. If you concentrate on what you don't have, you will never, ever have enough. We all have experienced, haven't we, the joy of a thankful, grateful heart and the miserliness when our hearts are bitter and angry and unthankful for what we have. But it's not just the secular world that speaks often about gratefulness and thankfulness. The Bible has much to say about thankfulness. Indeed, the word itself is used over 195 times in the Bible, though the concept is used countlessly throughout the scriptures. God's chief offense that he gives uh, that he gives to man is that man, even though knowing God, refused to honor him or give thanks to him. Paul uses the concept of thankfulness 40 times in the epistles, seven in Colossians alone, which I'm preaching on. And we see that Jesus is constantly giving thanks to his heavenly Father for the simplest of things. But what actually is thankfulness? What does it mean? The word thankfulness in the Greek actually comes from two different words. The first is charisma, from the word charis, which means grace. 
And the second is homologeo, which means to acknowledge. And so what thanksgiving means is to acknowledge grace, to acknowledge his grace or the grace of another that is extended to you. And so the root of what I'm trying to preach on is this simple concept. Because God's grace overabounds to us in every aspect of our lives, we must learn to acknowledge his grace in every aspect of our lives. I want to look at three specific points. Number one, God has given us a community of thanksgiving, a community in which we learn how to give thanks. Number two, God has given us a foundation of thanksgiving, a solid rock, if you will, upon which we can stand, that we can give thanks for anything and everything in our lives. And finally, a life of thanksgiving, a life that we are to live giving thanks to God in all that we do and say. So let us begin with my first point, a community of thanksgiving. In verse 12, Paul says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Now, as I've taught you before, whenever you hear a then, you need to ask what came before that then. For Paul is saying, put on then. In other words, based on something I've already told you. And right before this, Paul has told us that we have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. In other words, Paul is saying that you are, if you are a Christian, that you are a new creation in Christ, that the old has gone and the new has come, that you have a new self with new practices, and indeed, this new self is in the image of its creator. We are made in the image of God, and specifically in the image of Christ, who is the image of God. And so Paul is saying to put on the qualities that come along with this new nature. The Greek literally means, uh, the word is used to put on as if to put on clothes. Put on these qualities of compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, and meekness, and patience. Notice that these qualities are relational qualities. They have to do with how we treat one another. Compassion, which literally means with suffering, meaning enter into the suffering of others, come alongside of them in their hurt. Kindness, which literally means usefulness, in other words, jump into another person's situation and be useful to them. Don't simply talk about what they're uh, going through. Be a part of it and help them. Humility, which is a lowliness of mind. Not a haughtiness, but humbling oneself. Meekness, which means submission. Not being stubborn with one another, but willing to yield. And finally, patience which means long-suffering, putting up with one another. And he continues on, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. He's speaking specifically about relationships in the church. One another is the people who are sitting to your right and to your left, the people who are part of this body. And if there is a complaint 
Notice he's not saying that there's perfection in the church. Indeed, there will be tensions and difficulties. We are still fallen beings. We have not been fully redeemed. But if there is a complaint, forgiving each other. As the Lord forgives, we must forgive. I always like to, at this point, make sure to stick in a caveat, which means there are consequences for actions that have to be dealt with. Many people have come into the church and used this as a tool, if you will, uh, to, to do much evil against people and then say, well, the scripture's saying you must forgive. And the reality is we must forgive. But that doesn't absolve consequences in people's lives for their actions. I remember an associate of mine who was a pastor who one time uh, had some uh, young woman come into his office and she was stricken uh, with fear and remorse. Her, she had been out on a date with her boyfriend and uh, both, though they both loved the Lord, it had gone too far, way too far. And she was feeling much guilt and shame because of what had happened. And she asked the pastor if there would, was forgiveness for someone like her. And he said, well, have you asked forgiveness from the Lord? And she said, yes. He said, the Lord forgives you for your sin. And she wiped her brow and she said, whew, I'm so glad to hear that. I was afraid I might be pregnant. And the pastor said, now hold on. The Lord forgives you for your sin, but I'm not saying that there may not be consequences for your actions. And so though I'm on a beef diatribe, if you will, God is saying to forgive, but there are consequences for actions. As the Lord forgives, so you must forgive. What the Lord is telling us is that we have the capacity to forgive in that kind of way because we have put on the new stuff. It's a supernatural forgiveness. It's not found in humanity without the divine inside of us. But he goes on, above all these things put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. Kind of interesting he puts that at the end, doesn't he? And be thankful, almost like a parent, you know, when you're listening to your kids, five things you're supposed to do, and at the end you say, and be thankful. Is it just sort of an add-on? Be thankful for what? The answer is as we look at what he's been talking about is to be thankful for the church. To be thankful for his body, the church in which he died to bring on this earth. See, the church is a manifestation, albeit an imperfect one, of the kingdom that is to come. It's a demonstration of the kingdom that is to come present in this world. And it's supposed to function opposite of this world, isn't it? It's supposed to show compassion when there's cruelty, forgiveness when our tendency is to bear a grudge, going ahead and being submissive and humble before one another when the world preaches power and dominance. And he's saying that you and I, if you are a Christian, if you have bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, have been included in this body. So to be thankful for this community. For in this community, you are to be accepted unconditionally. Regardless of how much you make, 
your class, your color, the, your ethnicity, your heritage. We are all one in Christ, and we are to be lifted up because that is what Christ has for us. And so be thankful. You see, the church is an incubator, if you will, in which each of us are being taught and learning to receive God's grace through one another and to display his grace to each other. We are to see in tangible ways the love of God made manifest through the hands of each other as we love and care and come alongside one another. It's been said, don't join a perfect church or you'll ruin it. But the truth is Jesus joined us imperfect people to his perfect church and he in the end will perfect us we have no right to it but it's a privilege and an honor that god has given us so my first set of questions for you is this one when was the last time you thanked god for this church when was the last time that you thanked god for the people in this church you see, we play a role in each other's lives, showing grace and demonstrating it. And if you are here, God has brought you here for a reason. And he says to you and he says to me to put on compassionate hearts for one another, kindness for each other, humility, meekness, and patience. We can forget to be thankful. We can see all that is wrong with this body, all that is wrong with this building, all that we don't have. Or we can learn to be thankful here, to acknowledge God's grace as we see it manifest in each other's lives. God has given us a community of thanksgiving. Let us participate in it and learn what it means to be thankful. But this brings me to my second point, the foundation of thanksgiving. For how can we be these things to one another if we do not have his grace in us from the beginning? We need a foundation of thanksgiving. Notice the first line that Paul gives us in this scripture. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, and meekness. In other words, he's saying that because you are God's chosen ones, because you are holy and beloved, it makes sense for you to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, and meekness. Because isn't that exactly what God has done for us in the beginning? Was it not God who showed us compassion by coming alongside of us in our fallenness and our sinfulness and going up on the cross so that we would not have to? on bearing the, the, the shame and the scorn and the derision and the mockery that we deserve for our sins. He was compassionate to us first when we did not deserve it. He was kind to you and I and is kind to us in so many manifest ways. Jesus and his Father are not unuseful gods, but they came into the world and took on flesh. And they showed us how to love. They showed us how to live. They showed us who we were. They were kind to us. Jesus was humble and meek, was he not? 
Though in equality with God, he did not consider it something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Is not Jesus patient with you and me? Putting up with us in our stubborn ways? Unconditional? The foundation of our thanksgiving is the grace of God. And so he uses these words, these wonderful words, chosen, holy, and beloved. Isn't one of the greatest things in the world to be chosen? Whether it's being chosen when someone has asked for your hand in marriage, all the way down to being chosen to be part of the kickball team, right? We all want to be chosen. We want to be special. We want to be somebody. How much more that the God of the universe recognized us and chose us to be his. Holy, which means to be set apart. To be somebody special. Beloved which the literal translation means to have love for someone or something based on sincere appreciation and high regard. Do you ever think about the fact that Jesus Christ has sincere appreciation for you and who you are and high regard for you? This is the foundation upon which we stand that gives us grace and love to give to one another. And so Paul admonishes us in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What is this word of Christ? It's the gospel. It's the good news that I've been talking about. He's saying, let it flow and and strengthen in your soul. Let it dwell in you richly. The word dwell, as we use, is, means to occupy a house. Let the gospel, the words of the truth, dwell and occupy your heart in a rich way, a large way, as you teach and admonish one another. <coughs> See, left to ourselves, we will forget all of the graciousness of God in Jesus Christ. We need one another to fan into flame, if you will, the wonders of Christ's love. And so we teach and admonish one another. We think of the word admonish now in its present usage, which is almost like a, a punishing or a, a, a telling to. But the word much more means when we're veering off of the path, helping us to remember what is true and helping to steer and guide us back. Without you in my life, it's very easy for me to steer off the path, forgetting all the graciousness of God. And so he says that we teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, as we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. See, singing is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Wasn't it great to come in here, by the way, and hear the sounds of these magnificent instruments that have filled cathedrals for centuries. 
And to think of some of these wonderful words that uh, I picked one out. Uh, I was thinking of the song, Holy, 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 earlier. Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty. Yes, you are, God. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. It's in music and in preaching that we remember that he is merciful and mighty. That he is the blessed Trinity. That only thou art holy and there is none beside thee. You're perfect in power, in love and in purity. As we go back again and again, we never leave the gospel. But we simply stand higher and higher, taller and taller, on the foundation of grace. God has given us a community in which to learn grace from each other. And he's given us the foundation of grace. And so we must acknowledge his grace. We must give thanks. For if we don't, all of life will be overturned. Do we let God's grace dwell in us richly, day by day, moment by moment? It's been said that your religion is what you do in your private time, in your free time. What is it that is worth your time and energy? When you have free time, where is it that you go to be filled up? Where do you find contentment and satisfaction? Where do you find grace worth acknowledging? I fear that I spend too much of my life on things that are of no account, instead of focusing on the foundation of grace in Jesus Christ. We are to be to each other teachers and admonishers. We are to come together on Sundays to sing songs of praise with thankfulness in our hearts to God. As the scriptures say, becoming a temple, rising up to the Lord. Thankfulness is used three times in this passage. And I think that we discover as we are thankful that it flows over into praise. You ever notice how when Jesus heals someone, he tells them, don't tell anyone about this. It wasn't a slick marketing ploy so that he would not be so mobbed. You had work to do, but what is the thing that they automatically start doing? They start telling, they start saying thankful to God, thanks to God. They give thanks to him, they give praise to him. It's an overflow of a heart that's filled with joy. This is the life that God is calling us to, a life of thanksgiving. And because God's grace overabounds to us in every aspect of life, let us learn to acknowledge his grace in every aspect of our life. A community of thanksgiving, a foundation of thanksgiving, which leads ultimately to a life of thanksgiving. Verse 17 sums it up. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do you know that we take somewhere between 17,000 to 23,000 breaths a day? You're doing it right now, don't think about it. We don't even think about it, do we? It just happens. It's amazing the delicate homeostasis in our body 
one chemical simply being out of whack for a little bit of time and our life expires just like dust. I, my job is a very interesting one. I, I, uh, I'm there when they're born and I'm there when they die. And I can tell you that life is extremely fragile and in an instant it's knocked out. It's a gift. It's a gift that we have. Every moment, every day, every breath, every thought. Our life is in his hands. And so it is fitting that whatever we do, in word or deed, to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 4.11 puts it this way. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Soon we will walk out that door and go back to our so-called secular world. I don't know if you have to work today, probably have to work tomorrow. And life goes on and on and on. You know, it's been said that a movie is life with all the boring parts cut out. But what the scripture is telling us is that there are no boring parts. Not in the sense of every part, God is in it. Everything that we do is an opportunity to acknowledge and give thanks. When I'm able to read this passage right here, that God had his hand in that, allowing me have schooling, allowing me to have eyes to see, allowing me to have life. When I turn a wrench, when I play an instrument, when I preach a sermon, all gifts of God that I can give back to him. One of my favorite characters was the stumbling brother Lawrence, who was very similar to uh, Francisco and Nacho Libre. He was the guy who cooked for all the friars, right? Wasn't talented enough to preach the sermon. He wasn't, no, it was Ignacio. Excuse me, Ignacio Nacho. Did you people not see Nacho Libre? <laughs> I'm very concerned about my congregation right now. Okay? Brother Lawrence, who sat there in the back just constantly cooking, not getting to do all the other uh, duties, if you will, recognized that this little place, my little kitchen, is a cathedral in which I can give praise to the Lord, in which I, when I cook the food, it can be an offering to God because he gives me the strength to do it. When I am alone, I can give thanks for he is with me and he'll never leave me or forsake me. And so Brother Lawrence called himself the Lord of all pots and pans. And what's amazing is we don't know the name of any of the other guys in the abbey there. But you can read Brother Lawrence's Practicing the Presence of God, which is still in print today, centuries after his death. Because Brother Lawrence learned the secret of contentment, and he learned to live with a thankful heart. And so you too have a life to live. You have your 20,000 breaths to breathe. You have your wrench to turn, and your instrument to play, and your sermon to preach. If you want to live a rich life, acknowledge the foundation that you have of grace, that God is for you, 
and not against you. Perhaps you are a seeker, still seeking to know who is this person, Jesus Christ. You're curious. The Lord says, come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. He wants to be your savior, and he wants to be your king. And when you give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, you can experience all the blessings that he has for you for the rest of your life. But when Christ comes into your life, he comes to stay. Because God's grace overabounds to us in every aspect of our life, let us learn through each other, through letting his word dwell richly in our hearts, let us learn to acknowledge his grace with thanksgiving, day by day, moment by moment. For that is the purpose of why we are here. Let us pray. There is much to be thankful for. All the blessings that you give us, Father, all of your goodness, but most of all, the blood of Jesus Christ, through which you ransomed us from hell, and you brought us into the kingdom of the Son that you love. Let us live lives that acknowledge your grace, from the great to the little, and let us help one another on this road to teach and admonish one another, to gather together, to sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our heart toward God. Let it be so in particular this Thanksgiving season. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.